selenium nutrition is very interesting and it should be um, a topic that hopefully isn't overly intimidating or scary as far as what forms to feed. Um, I think that being said, I think form uh, nutritionists moving forward should probably focus on um, formulating on a selenomethionine content um, in their premix. Um, and, and definitely for those sows and those nursery pigs that need it the most. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Adiseo, a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Darlene Bloxham from Adiseo. How are you today, Darlene? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, Darlene, uh, some of our audience members may not be familiar with you. Um, so maybe let's start there for today. Let's have you give a little bit of an introduction about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, wasn't raised in the swine industry. Um, it was something that I got into as part of undergrad research when I was doing my undergraduate degree at Ohio State. Um, and then from there, I decided I wanted to um, explore nutrition further. So I decided to go to um, graduate school and down at University of Georgia and work with um, Dr. Azen down there and work with um, feeding actually wheat to pigs and different types of nursery diets. Uh, and then my Ph.D. took a bit of a shift in that I did um, ingredient analysis actually for um Choline and betaine, um, something that they're quasi-vitamins, they're great, but it's very niche. Uh, and then once I got my PhD, I was a production nutritionist at a hog operation down in southern Iowa for a couple of years. And then um, in late 2020, I decided to make a switch to Adiseo. Um, and from there, uh, I worked uh, and oversaw both their um, field research that we would do with customers, but then a little bit more of their controlled trials that we had going on at the same time. And then there was an opportunity to focus more on the swine team and um, become a technical manager, which is what I am today. And I uh, provide technical support for a variety of products, um, including our Selenium product. 
Yeah, and I think that that's a great introduction. And, and you and I met a few years back. And so you know, we've had various conversations um, concerning both your production experience as well as some of the, the products that you're involved in in technical support with today. Um, your Selenium, I think, is really actually very interesting. And it's a conversation I still have on a regular basis with people about what levels and how much and and even um, how do we assess selenium levels in animals when they're fed different types of selenium. And so I think maybe let's just start with the history of selenium, if you don't mind. Let's just kind of talk about how selenium has progressed to being an important piece of, of our swine diets. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because selenium has been a nutrient that um, I think as a nutritionist, you understand that it's very important because it's um, it's got a maximum that we're allowed to feed, which is very different than a lot of the other nutrients we feed. So it's kind of understanding where that maximum comes comes from. Um, and initially, selenium was or um, soils that were high in selenium were considered toxic. And there's a thing called um, alkyl disease. And that would cause your very traditional kind of hoof sloughing type thing in livestock um, out in out in the plains. Um, and that was in, you know, the 1800s, that type. And then um, it was determined that that was probably a selenium component in the 20s and the 30s. Um, however, in the late 50s, probably 57 and 58, there were a lot of research studies coming out that selenium was actually an essential nutrient. And um, there's a lot more soils that are actually deficient in selenium then there are toxic in selenium. Um, but that being said, selenium, because of its um, potential toxicity, because it doesn't take that much to be potentially toxic. And then there were also some early studies at that point, too, that possibly linked selenium to being a bit of a carcinogen, which is um, not good for human diets at all. That's something that uh, the government for a very long time has taken very seriously. Um, so because of that, uh, selenium wasn't allowed in diets, but you couldn't, the animals couldn't get enough of it. Um, so there was um, a big push by a lot of the universities and a lot of the land grant universities across the country to show um, multiple states having signs of selenium deficiencies and working on research then to determine that uh, selenium supplementation for as sodium selenite or selenate is necessary and what levels were those needed to keep the deficiency signs away? And for poultry and swine, um, selenium as sodium selenite got approved in the mid-70s. Um, and for swine specifically, that was actually only at 0.1 part per million. Um, so that's something that when we think of today as our 0.3 part per million limit, it wasn't always that way. Um, and then... Um, Another kind of round of research had to go through to up that um, maximal allowable limit because 0.1 parts per million supplementation was deemed to not be enough, especially for certain ages of pigs. Um, and then in 1987, um, that's when the 0.3 parts per million across the board for multiple species has been kind of established as it is today. Um, and that's where it's stayed ever since. But since then, we've had technology um, improvements over time. So the first form of uh, selenium that was approved and is very uh, specifically stated in the registrar is um, sodium selenate or selenite. So inorganic forms of selenium. 
Um, and then in the early 2000s, we had uh, selenized yeast was approved. Um, and that takes, that's essentially yeast that is grown with, again, sodium selenate or selenite. And the yeast incorporate selenium in its own tissues, um, ideally as selenomethionine. Um, and then from there, it turns it into what we would traditionally call organic selenium. Um, and then that shows that's a benefit that's the selenomethionine is the type of uh, selenium that can actually be stored in tissues. So um, that means that if the animal has a stress event, there's a selenium pool to essentially pull from. And then um, in uh, around 2015-ish in the United States, that um, the third generation of selenium products came on the market um, as a hydroxyselenomethionine, um, or in Adiseo's case, the product called Silicio. And that's a pure version of selenomethionine. Um, and that way, uh, it's a lot less variable because it's um, chemically synthesized as opposed to biological synthesis. Um, so you're getting more, you're getting selenomethionine as your only product being made, as opposed to selenized yeast um, will make other side products and not just selenomethionine. Yeah, so listening to your your uh, timeline there, I think one of the questions that pops into my head and, and maybe some of our producers in particular out there is what's the difference? Um, so clearly you, you talked organic and inorganic, but some people may not quite understand what does that mean in terms of for the pig? Yes. Um, yeah, so inorganic in our mineral forms of selenium um, and actually most forms of selenium um, can't be accumulated in the tissue. So I always think of it like a teeter-totter. So your body takes in selenium and it has to go through a, a hydrogen selenide process and it either gets excreted because the animal has enough selenoproteins and it doesn't need it or um, it gets incorporated into selenoprotein. So it actually has to be used as a functional selenoprotein or it gets excreted. That doesn't give you an opportunity for storage. Um, and then those excretion products are, um, if they accumulate, that's what can become toxic, and that's where some of the toxic effects of selenium come from. Um, as opposed to your uh, selenomethionine, um, that has an opportunity that it can be incorporated into selenoproteins, um, or it can be stored into the muscle. And then you get accumulation of selenium in the muscle, and that acts as a storage pool. So when the animal has a stress event, and that can be anything from weaning to farrowing to any sort of, you know, any sort of biological stress the animal might have, the first thing that happens in those cases is that they're going to stop eating. And then you're going to have a little bit of breakdown of the muscle, and that's going to liberate your, your selenomethionine, and it can be converted into selenoproteins. And selenoproteins are very important because they, um, they're used for a lot of stress responses. So uh, selenium-dependent proteins are needed for um, to maintain your antioxidant status, to maintain your vitamin C, your vitamin E levels, glutathione peroxidase. Um, there's a lot of uh, proteins and components a part of your redox system or your antioxidant system of your body that are selenium dependent. Yeah, and I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? It's that antioxidant. And so if people aren't necessarily familiar with some of the other items that you were discussing, we all know that antioxidants are good for immune support. Um, one of the common things that I think most people or some of our listeners would probably associate with selenium issues would be mulberry heart. 
And so how does selenium have a role in mulberry heart? Yeah, so I th- that comes from, um, so mulberry heart is a condition where the the heart, it looks kind of white and striated. And that comes from uh, oxidative stress and essentially kind of the accumulation of peroxides in the heart. And those cause oxidative damage, meaning that they're going to actively destroy tissues. So um, part of mulberry heart is it's thought of as either a vitamin E issue, meaning you can't recycle enough vitamin E, or a selenium issue because uh, selenium is needed to recycle your vitamin E. So if you if one or both of those components are missing, um, you're going to see this mulberry heart issue. The thing that I would challenge a lot of people with in that type of issue is you can't just keep adding vitamin E to solve a deficiency in selenium. Um, you need to have the selenium there beforehand because there's only... Adding vitamin E can only do so much because once it, it gets used up and it can't be recycled, it's really not worth anything um, for the animal on a biological level. Uh, so that's where something of having adequate levels of selenium um, for a stress event like mulberry heart is important. Um, and I think that's an important thing to realize with uh, selenium as a nutrient to, to use it effectively is that you don't need to supplement it at the time of the stress. You need to supplement it before the stress so it can accumulate in the tissues. Um, and selenomethionine is the only form of selenium that will actually accumulate in your general protein pool or your muscle pool. Um, even, and this is the advantage of feeding a pure selenomethionine versus feeding a yeast. Yeast will make different side products, um, one of them being selenocysteine, and that will not accumulate in the tissues um, the same level um, as selenomethionine. Yeah, and so I think you're exactly right, right? We need to have selenomethionine stored in that tissue ahead of a stress event. And when we think about a newly weaned pig, they're going through a large amount of stress, and then we're probably vaccinating them on top of that. So we're pushing the immune system, and, and you're basically just taking out of the bank, right? Every day you're, you're making a withdrawal, and um, the vitamin E, only goes so far and, and eventually you run out of money. And so um, I think that's ex- exactly right. And I think it's something that our producers should be thinking about. Um, not that we can supplement more selenium because as Darlene mentioned, there are legal limits to that. But you know, how do we balance and ensure that the pig has maximized its ability to absorb selenium and put it in its savings account, if you will, so that it could use it later? Um, Darlene, I kind of want to go back a little bit and you you hit on it there just for a moment about the different the different sources and and how they all have different levels of selenomethionine in them. Um, but does that change their inclusion levels in the diets? Right? So we know the legal level is 0.3 parts per million selenium, but we're talking now about selenomethionine versus selenocysteine and selenate and selenite. So how does that all play? Because that might be confusing too. Yes. And this is a, a really great question because that legal limit is total selenium. So it doesn't matter what form of selenium you're using, your total selenium supplementation is going to be capped at 0.3 parts per million in swine diets. Um, that being said, the form that you feed is very important. So if you're feeding 0.3 parts per million of sodium selenite, that's all you can do it's really not going to be accumulated in the tissues very well i always say that's one that 
It keeps the deficiency signs away in most cases, but it doesn't really allow the animals to thrive. Um, and then you have your uh, selenized yeast, or they were really traditionally thought of as the organic uh, seleniums. Um, there's only so much selenomethionine that yeast can uh, incorporate in their tissue. So it really gets capped out at 70-ish percent. Um, and that's dependent on a lot of factors. So the quality of fermentation, how long they let it run, different things like that. And the yeast will create a lot of different side products that have been shown to not really be very effective um, or being no more effective than a sodium selenite. So selenomethionine is um, really the active component that you want out, out of that selenized yeast. But the total selenium that you're supplementing still may be 0.3 parts per million, but you're not getting 0.3 selenomethionine. You're you're going to get, you're going to be typically within that 60, 70% tops um, or 67, 70% range. Um, and then your third form, so your pure form, so your uh, selenomethionines or your hydroxyselenomethionines, um, they're a chemical um, type and uh, they're 99.3 minimum uh, selenomethionine uh, as far as total selenium goes. So if you're putting in 0.3 parts per million of a selenomethionine or a hydroxyselenomethionine, um, that's you're going to get essentially 100% selenomethionine supplemented. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that clarification because I think that's something that's really important for our producers to think about. I know it's it's a conversation um, I've had regularly with others in the past. When we take a tissue sample, for example, uh, selenium level might vary based on which type of selenium we're using, and so. Um, you know, I don't know if you can address that in any more detail, but I, that was one thing that I thought was always important to communicate. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely is. Um, it's very hard to get any sort of um, uh, muscle selenium accumulation when you're feeding sodium selenite, even above levels of 0.3. Um, so it really doesn't get incorporated into the tissues. Um, selenized yeast is somewhere in the middle because there's selenomethionine content somewhere in the middle, but it's they're very variable. Um, if you're looking at their content of selenomethionine, and there's big differences brand to brand, and even within brand, batch to batch, the so selenomethionine contents typically runs a CV about 7%, um, as opposed to um, our silicio product or our hydroxyselenomethionine, our CV, our CV batch to batch is actually about 0.15. Um, so very consistent window of what you're getting every time. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's the thing, especially if you're typically feeding a yeast. If you're not getting the selenomethionine content you expect in your tissues, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Because, um, again, you don't necessarily know what batch you're getting. Um, because historically, organic selenium is considered both selenomethionine and selenocysteine. And selenocysteine isn't can't be incorporated into the muscles as well, selenomethionine. So that's another consideration as well. Yeah, and that's very true. So one, you have to know your source. And then two, you have to know kind of what you expect those tissue levels to be so that if you are suspecting there's a challenge with your selenium, you, you really have to know that level, right, and what it's going to express because your diagnostics might show different values and you might respond differently based on what you're currently feeding. And so I do think that's really important for our listeners to think about. Well, one other question that that I was thinking about, too, and I've had this come up before, uh, is if I send in a feed sample today, 
and I know I'm putting in 0.3 parts per million. Will my feed sample tell me in results that I have 0.3 parts per million? No, uh, it will not. It will actually be higher because um, typically, again, you are feeding uh, or there is selenium in, in your ingredients. So there will be selenium um, coming from your corn and uh, your soybean meal and other ingredients uh, that have been grown that you would be feeding. So your selenium levels in the diet would be higher. Your total selenium levels would be higher than a 0.3 parts per million. Um, you would still be within spec as far as um, regulations go because it's more on your batch record showing that you haven't supplemented above a 0.3 parts per million is where the compliance lies. Um, but yes, you're going to be higher than 0.3 parts per million. There's a lot of range um, as far as what a selenium, total selenium in a diet should be because there's a big range in the United States as far as soil selenium goes and soil um, selenium is very dependent on selenium in your in your grains. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question actually is around that. How do I know what I need to be doing in terms of supplementation? Because you mentioned that in some places selenium could be toxic in corn and I assume a lot of people know that, but there might be some people that are new to swine and even poultry production that haven't quite understood all of this. So how do we find out where we kind of sit in terms of our, our selenium needs? Yeah, um, I would say in most practical instances, the grain that you're going to be getting isn't going to be in a toxic level um, of selenium. It's really not a huge concern in the swine and the poultry side. Um, a lot of the cattle producers up in the in the Dakotas and different things like that, they may not have selenium in their um, premix buckets because they have a concern about selenium. But I would say with our practical um, modern agricultural today, no one, it's not a, a practical concern. Um, most people still feed or always just kind of feed that 0.3 parts per million because you're more likely to be deficient. Um, than you are to be toxic. Um, that being said, selenomethionine is less toxic than inorganic sources. So selenomethionine and, and silicia would be a safer source of selenium to supplement than, than a selenite, if that is of concern. Um, the other piece to that, that that popped into my mind as you were kind of talking through that was, what about different phases? Should I be feeding inorganic and finishing when maybe you may not need as much? Should I be feeding organic all the way through? What's kind of the thought process there? Yeah, so I would say um, definitely for your sows and your nursery pigs, I would say as much um, selenomethionine as you can feed. They are the animals that definitely give you your biggest bane for your buck. They are um, farrowing is very stressful for sows. Uh, studies have shown that farrowing you know, decreases serum vitamin E, it decreases serum tocopherol, it does even decrease serum selenium, it serum glutathione, pro, uh, glutathione peroxidase, it reduces all these antioxidants due to farrowing. Um, conversely, there have also been studies that have shown that being born, uh, a piglet being born is very stressful in that they're born with high levels of um, MDA and low levels of glutathione peroxidase. Um, and we also know weaning is very stressful. Uh, they're getting off the sow, they're getting put on a truck, they're getting lick, mixed in with different litters, um, 
They don't know what to eat because they were on the sow. Now they have food in front of them. So that's so that's an, another very high stress uh, event for an animal. Now on the grow finish side, I think that's typically the time that we definitely try to save a little bit of money and we just we want to keep deficiency signs away. Um, but I would also challenge producers then that there are stressful events that um, may need a little bit more antioxidant status and maybe a little bit more selenium status than we traditionally think of. So um, heat stress, definitely, uh, during times of year. And there have been um, definitely a lot of studies showing that uh, selenium can help possibly alleviate some of those heat stress symptoms. Um and then also from potentially even a meat quality issue and a shelf stability issue. Um, but things like that may not always pay at the packer, uh, but I would argue that heat stress definitely would. Okay. Yeah, that's a great point. I think many of us forget about the idea of heat stress in a finishing pig, and we know it's there, right? We know it slows down growth, but to really understand the, the physiology that's happening within the animal and the fact that different products could provide different resources for that animal, potentially minimize the impact is is always critical to be thinking about. Well, Darlene, I kind of see that our time is wrapping up on our conversation. And so I think what I would like to do is, is stop our conversation as much as I've enjoyed it and have you recap a little bit of a couple of key points that you would like our audience to take away from this conversation around selenium today. Yeah, I think a couple of key points is that there is... Um... Selenium nutrition is very interesting and it should be um, a topic that hopefully isn't overly intimidating or scary as far as what forms to feed. Um, I think that being said, I think form uh, nutritionists moving forward should probably focus on um, formulating on a selenomethionine content um, in their premix. Um, and, and definitely for those sows and those nursery pigs that need it the most. Very good. Thank you so much for your insight on selenium. That certainly has been enjoyable and I think really good for our listeners as well. It's time for our famous three. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Swine Management to the Next Level, CloudFarms.com, Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge, Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Genesis is the largest independent producer of high, healthy, registered purebred swine on the globe, having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis genetic program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and meat quality. To know more, go to genesis.com. That's G-E-N-E-S-U-S dot com. Eastman serves veterinarians and nutritionists in agrochemical and animal health industries by helping them select, evaluate, and implement innovative nutritional programs. Eastman works with your team to customize your gut health approach in feed and water. Eastman's approach addresses nutritional and bacterial challenges and finds new ingredient preservation and hygiene solutions. Explore ways to accelerate and innovate your programs. Contact the Animal Nutrition Team at Eastman.com. As you know, we kind of end our conversations with our guest speakers with these three infamous questions. 
Uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is what's your favorite swine resource or what what is your go-to reference? Um, yeah, so typically my go-to reference is um, the swine NRC. I think that's definitely a great starting point. Um, I think uh, definitely for production nutritionists, it's definitely a good starting point. Um, and we may move forward from that, but it's it gives me a good base to start from for any question I have. <laughs> Absolutely. How about something that's not related to pigs? Have you read anything recently or currently reading something that you think would be of interest to our listeners? Yeah, um, I typically read um, more short stories and novellas, but I would say if there's kind of something that I always go back to, um, it's actually a poetry book called Spoon River Anthologies. Um, It's very nice in that you can just kind of open it up and read a couple stories and go from there. And it's always something I find interesting details from every time I read it. Yeah, that's interesting. We I grew up in Illinois, so we had to learn those or, or read those growing up through our, our schooling and then lived in that area. So it's always intriguing to me to, to think about those. But that's actually a really interesting read. The last question I have for you is if you can think about someone in your life that is influential, that you think of as successful, and you can define success however you want to define it, and don't need to name names. But uh, what's a trait that they have that you think has allowed them to be successful? Yeah, uh, I think when I think about successful people, I think um, it's usually people that are um, have a lot of grace and understanding to people that um, work for them and work under them and really understand that at the end of the day, we're all people and we're not widgets and sometimes we have good days and bad days and they're willing to work through us uh, for that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's ex- that's very good one. I, I think. One of the common things I always remind myself is, you know, we're human and humans make mistakes. We're not computers and it's okay to make mistakes. Just tell me you've made a mistake and right, we work through it. So I agree. I think that's a really valuable trait to have because we are all human at the end of the day and we all do make mistakes. So very good. Well, Darlene, I greatly appreciate your time today. It's it's certainly been a pleasure to visit with you and talk a little bit more about selenium. I do think it's a, a mineral that we're all very well aware of, and, and it's certainly one that everybody thinks about in nursery with sudden deaths and mulberry heart. But to fully understand the different options that we have and how those different options work within the pig, I think is is very valuable to our listeners. And for our listeners today, just to remind you, this is Dr. Darlene Bloxham, who is part of Adiseo. So Darlene, thank you so much for your time today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been a good talk. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.